0: The Be the Difference podcast is presented by Back to Back Ministries, a Christian nonprofit organization providing holistic care for orphan and vulnerable children and families around the world. To find out more about Back to Back or to follow on social media, head to backtoback.org.
1: Welcome to Be the Difference, stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. I'm your host, Sammy Matthews, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. Chris, you did our interview this week and it's with someone that's actually a really good friend of yours. Can you tell us a little bit about who it is?
0: Sammy, I'm really excited to share with you and the Be The Difference community a conversation with Fred Aduyoye, founder of Reachable Reconciliation. I have known Fred for years and in many different contexts. One specific one is around the empowerment of emerging generations. Fred's been a leader in youth ministry environments and nonprofits for decades in this space. That experience led him to launch Reachable Reconciliation as a cohort environment where communities can come together and go on a practitioner's journey toward equality and unity. What I mean by a cohort is a community of people, not a curriculum-based group that's coming together, but a community-based group where the five Rs of Reachable Reconciliation Hold the space for men, women, and children to have the really difficult conversations around equality and unity that is so important for us to go on today.
1: Well, I am excited to hear this conversation and to learn more about Fred. So here we go with Chris and Fred.
0: Fred, welcome to the Be the Difference podcast. Thanks for being a guest of ours today, specifically a guest of mine. Our friendship goes back years, so I'm excited to ask some questions of my friend, and introduce you to the Be The Difference audience. So thanks for being here and being willing to share. Doc, always excited to hang out
2: with my buddy. Any dialogue, any time we get to share together, it's always fun, not only for you and I, but uh, just for others that get to share in the conversation and dialogue with us.
0: So question one that I wanted to start with for uh, the Be The Difference audience, tell us a little bit about... Fred Oduyoye, is important to you? Uh, what are some of the highlights in, uh, of your journey and who you are today?
2: Wow, that's a, I'll try to narrow that down. Sure. But, of course, the last name, Oduyoye. I just want you to know I'm not the brother that just decided to change his name. My, my mom's from North Carolina. My dad's from Nigeria. And uh, that culture in itself had some unique <laughs> uh, disciplines within mm. it. But speeding that up, I, we grew up in Columbia, Maryland, which is a planned community, so it was intentional about uh, different ethnicities, uh, classes, uh, age, gender, et cetera, crashing into each other and living side-by-side side in communities. So for me, that's what I thought was normal. But mm. my dad would always say, son, this is not the real world. And I didn't understand that because people were just people to me until I got older, graduated, etc., and you know started, uh, you know working, and uh, and going in other places. So I began to learn that um, people had a difficult time connecting with other people. What was natural for me wasn't natural for everyone else, and so that's kind of the space that I have ultimately been groomed for by God, you know, over the years, starting out in youth ministry, you know, full-time in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, served in various youth departments and then with Urban Youth Workers Institute out of um, California, and then from there going to youth specialties as their first black hire in their entire 45 years. So here's here again was me on the urban side and then the suburban side, you know, afterwards, and now learning how do you bridge those two worlds together?
0: I appreciate the vantage point that you just shared with us because I think it really impacts our conversation moving forward. We need to know the complexities of stories and how they lead to decisions that we make, like career, like opportunity. Do you remember a moment based on your story where you had this, aha, I want to go work with youth, or I want to create spaces where people belong. Was there a person or a moment that really stands out to you that defined that?
2: I struggled for a person who's kind of this introvert and extrovert at the same time. I struggled with self-identity. And knowing that God was calling me to serve in the kingdom— I didn't know how to do that. And so what was natural for me was to chase people. So I picked five people, very different, you know, individuals, and I chased them for about three years. It Harvey Carey, Marvin Daniels, Phil Jackson in Chicago, um, you know, and one or two others. And so wherever they were, Whether they were teaching or speaking or sharing, there was something about them that I wanted to learn from. Even if I had to drive seven hours, which I did one time, just to sit 45 minutes, there was something about their personality because these were the early pioneers that were in these multicultural spaces. And so I wanted to learn from them what helps them not only engage in those spaces, but also keep balance for themselves, for their families, and for their ministry. And uh, that's that was what helped me define, okay, Fred, here's the lane that you need to run in.
0: That's I have so many questions off of that. One listener recognized that Fred's, Fred's young, but he's not so young that this journey started when he could have Googled these names on the Internet and just found YouTube videos about them. And you even mentioned, like, you're driving hours to be— in the physical space of these people that you believe may uh, exemplify a lifestyle that you want and you're wanting to learn from them. So uh, first, we need to take note of that. Second, how did you get access? Like, there have to be hundreds of people in these spaces. How did you get access to these people that are in these places? Doc, I didn't know them at all. Man, I just show up and I can remember
2: one specific moment when Marvin Daniels was teaching and... Afterwards, he said, hey, man, it's good to see you again. Again. And that was so
0: valuable to me. Has that been true for you most of your life where those relationships lead you on places in, in, in a journey where you end up someplace and think, I don't know how I got here, but I love being here?
2: Yes. That, that's, the, that's the benefit of making yourself available having a posture that listens, but most importantly, when you show up in a space, can it not be about you but show that you care about the person that's in front of you? And even though those leaders were high profile, it doesn't make a difference how big you are in the kingdom. Everybody wants somebody to know that who you are and what you do is important and I value you. And the other part of that, Chris, is, again, I told you these are people who were early on in these multicultural spaces. So now you're sacrificing your own culture to a lot of times spend time in dominant white mainstream culture, right? That's a sacrifice you make. So – and there's nobody else in that space Mm. (laughs) to be your ride or die, right, in the moment because you're usually the only one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, expand on that a little bit because I think – Listeners and I need to understand a little bit. When you say you're the only person in that space, you mean physically and engaging, there is a separation here. And I'm authentically the only person in this space. Tell me what that looks like and feels like.
2: Yeah. If you know, if you're a person of color, and sometimes even if you're just a woman, right? You know, because sometimes those are synonymous, um, because it's not the white male mainstream. You have to, um, there's a certain level of vocabulary, a presence, a posture, right, that gets you into the room, right, where others wouldn't be in the room. Now, when you're one of those people who are now asked to be in that spot on a regular basis, the thought pattern of white mainstream is that, that should, you should now adopt, right? right. <laughs> that culture, and that's a natural for you. But what they don't think about is that that's a sacrifice for us because now we're spending less time within the natural culture that we came up out of, right? But they don't think about it, right? Because it's kind of like, oh, here's Fred. Yeah, he's here, right? But, but it'd be different if white mainstream had to get up and walk into the people of color situation every day, right? Because then it would be on their brains like, how do I show up in this space?
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's led to this change in your journey, which is called Reachable Reconciliation. It's a it's a project that you have founded. Uh, tell us a little bit about Reachable Reconciliation and how that creates space for this conversation that we just started to really be ongoing.
2: I learned that no matter whether I was part of a dialogue, a forum, a panel discussion, a webinar, whatever the platform was, that after the moment was over, no one wanted to go and then change systems or change habits or change culture. People wanted to go back to doing the same thing that they always did. The thought pattern for dominant culture was we created a moment to show the sensitivity of an interest in diversity or multiculturalism whatever but the risk of trying to now create regular space for that to happen became too great the other part of that it wasn't just the risk it's we don't know how to do it so we just leave the moment and we we skip out right? Right, right so for me i started realizing okay hey, God, you got to show me something else because me showing up for the moment is taxing on me. And that's when I could hear him talking about this reachable reconciliation space, right? So it's not necessarily about race and culture alone. A lot of it is. But then, Fred, what happens if you share with people, how about we take the approach of managing the people that are right in front of us, right within our reach? Can we do a better job not bypassing people who are not in our regular circles so that we can do a better job taking people that are in front of us and then have a better opportunity to interlock in a bigger community of faith?
0: Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's the idea of if I walked out on my front porch and I reached my arms out, who's within my reach? Yeah. And am I reconciled with them?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's your staff, right? It's the introvert. It's, um, you know, it's just all these people that you might just walk by and not take notice. And they're saying, hey, what about me? Can I get in the game? (laughs) Right?
0: Right. Yeah. So instead of solving systemic problems, um, perceived generational problems, reachable reconciliation is efforting to put this in your living room or your neighborhood or at work for you as an individual to say, how do I live in you know reconciled relationships with the people that are closest to me?
2: Yeah, and and and, and that what I like about it is we lead with the reachable. See? Yeah. Because you can't always reconcile if there's no relationship. Yeah. But you can reach first where you've not been reaching, right? Where you've not uh paid attention uh to the posture of somebody else, and then that leads to reconciliation. Yeah.
0: So you use the platform, such as an an event or a moment that a a community, a church, a a gathering, a a business, an organization could have and say, we're going to have a moment, we're going to talk about reconciliation. The conversation starts, then it leads to like a cohort that you use as a terminology of a group of people then get together and would meet to discuss with you that journey of relationship. When you... Right now, it's it's 2021. We're coming out of 2020 where everything has been on Zoom. I'm sure that's true for you. Is that right? For Absolutely. Cohorts have had to be yep. digital. Sure. So when you open up that Zoom call for a cohort, who do you see predominantly showing up into these spaces longing for reconciliation?
2: Oh, Doc, my, my audience is 100% white. Yeah. And for the most part, it's— whites who are
0: 50 plus years old so for clarity you're (laughs) telling me that the 50 plus year olds in white culture are reaching out and joining in a cohort that is led by an african-american man called reachable reconciliation is that hopeful for you absolutely so here's the thing it's like no one created a
2: space for them to have the conversation for 50 plus years. Yeah, That's so important, isn't it?
0: That's so important.
2: Yeah. And so they're excited because now they have the opportunity to at least get in the conversation, but also be able to share openly and honestly about the historical patterns, their upbringings that help shape why they uh, have the preconceived perceptions, you know, that they do, or why they've missed the opportunity to interact in cross-cultural spaces, but no one ever gave them the opportunity. No one ever set the space up for them to have that dialogue, right? Right. Yeah. And so, and and that's been a learning. Every conversation is a learning for me, right, because I get new information. That's what it's about. Can I listen and hear, you know, about the experiences of others, so that then that helps me to be able to share with someone else, right? Well, here's what somebody else was thinking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what is one of those moments that you gained new information and it surprised you and led you into just a deeper even reconciliation on a call?
2: Yeah. <laughs> there was there was this moment uh, that actually, you know, you and I shared about where i put up this picture of one of my soccer players. I'm a soccer coach, okay, and uh, so I've got two teams, one older team, one younger team, and so my seventh and eighth grade team, I put up a picture of my hand stretched with my player, so she's an eighth grade white, you know, uh, female, and myself, and so I put the image up and asked the people in the Zoom, what do you see? And a lot of times, you know, oh, we see
0: happiness. Oh,
2: we see, you know, relationship. Oh, we see all those things.
0: And for clarity, I've seen this picture. And for (laughs) clarity, it is a player six feet apart from Fred because it's a tournament that's happened during COVID. And they're reaching to give each other a high five. And she has a a medal around her neck like they've won something. So you're a good soccer coach is one of the other things. And they've won something, and they're reaching to give each other a high five in a COVID way. Yeah. And so normal responses are, like, this is sweet. This is great. And my response was, here you are showing off, Fred, winning <laughs> stuff again. <laughs> but that wasn't, those weren't the only responses, right? No.
2: So the one lady says, well, I'm just going to be honest. For many, this is a Southern nightmare. Ain't no way— that you're going to show me a picture of a white girl and a black man with their hands extended as if they're in relationship with each other. And it just blew me away. Yeah. Um, But that's—it blew me away that she said it, but it also let me know that there's still people caring, (laughs) right? Yes. The— historical patterns from years ago, even though there's still racism, you know, now. And that's that's what these cohorts have done, Chris, is it's a safe space, as you mentioned, right? It's a safe space for them to be able to share exactly how they feel and the experiences that they have had both in the past, present, and, you know, what they'd like to see in the future.
0: Yeah. If you remember in that moment of that story, was there— a moment of reconciliation or reaction even on that call within the cohort?
2: I think that the cohort, what it allowed, so when somebody, when you create these spaces, and it only takes one person to be transparent, what that does is it opens up the room so that others can then feel comfortable enough to share as
0: well. Hearing you describe this particular story, in addition to what I imagine, are significant spaces within the cohort where questions get asked, um, generational and systemic problems get thrown at you. I just want to ask, do you go into these spaces alone? So I do have
2: um, a few friends that I will call upon to enter into that space with me. Not all people of color. There are, you know, one or two um, even locally that are white because it's it helps balance out the conversation. You got to have somebody to process with, yeah, right And then you also have to have somebody that uh, you can just um, you know call to say, hey, can you can you jump in here with me? Because people need to know that there are others who, may not look like me like it can't be the black person going in talking to the all-white people all-white audience all the time right right um they need to see that there are others they need to see that they're women they need to see that they're you know other white males right that share the same faith share the same line of thinking and want to be bridge builders right are willing to lay down their lives so that others can cross together right? right i have a good friend here in cincinnati that I uh, will call uh, him up, and he will be that voice for me. As a matter of fact, he's not only that voice for me, but he helps protect my soul. And I think that's very important that you have a friend that not only is a joint communicator with you, but helps to protect um, your soul, yes, so...
0: This is significant work that you're investing your life in, just personally from my vantage point and hearing my own family or community and the way in which each person I know wrestles with this aspect of reconciliation right now. I feel the weight of the importance of the space you're entering into. Sure. Do I get tired sometimes?
2: Absolutely. Which then means I need to reconnect outside of that space, but in the moment. That's why I show up every time.
0: I'm so grateful that you continue to show up every time. If there were a um, young—let's start with this. If there were a young person of color who heard this conversation and said, yeah, that, what he just said, I want to be in that space too. I'm funny. I make people feel safe, and I think I could do this. What piece of advice would you give to that person?
2: I would say that one continue to continue to show up in the space continue to be a listener okay cuz listening is really important find some, find a friend that can complement you outside of your normal circle and and last one Find somebody that you can chase so you can always get better at what you're doing. Um, And those those things alone will help the comforter, if you will, right, (laughs) guide you into the lane that you're going to own, you know, within your passion.
0: Would you change any of what you just said if it was a young white person wanting to enter into this space? And what would you— advise them on? If you could
2: do a better job at listening, you would have a better opportunity to build relationships outside of your circles, because when people can see that you're paying attention to them, then they automatically know that you value them and, um, and that's important. And so the others know the outside of that, the others are still relevant. Chase. Um, you know, chase somebody, uh, make sure you have a friend that's outside of your natural circle. So all those things are still prevalent, right? But the listening piece is so important. Yeah. For the
0: young white individual. Fred, I want to say on behalf of every face that's been on a Zoom call, um, every friend that you've Chased to be present and to become that safe person that they can vent to and with. Thank you for being a pioneer into this conversation, but also community that is transformative. I don't believe there are enough voices who could speak back to you, how you reframed the way they were going to see the interracial marriages within their family, that you've reframed the way that they could see their neighbors, and the way that they would see future generations in their churches and their communities. I don't think anyone gets to thank you for that. So on behalf of all of them, I'm going to say thank you for being the difference. It was a pleasure to have you as part of this conversation, my friend.
2: Uh, Thank you for having me, man. It's always great to share with you. Appreciate it.
1: Chris, I really appreciated your conversation with Fred. I thought it was thought-provoking and left me asking a lot of questions of myself There were some things that surprised me, like when you said that you asked him, who are the people that are joining these cohorts? Like, who's on there when you open up the Zoom call these days? And he said white people in their 50s. And that is that was not the answer that I expected him to give.
0: Yeah, off mic, uh, Fred even shared that the men and women in his cohorts are from South Carolina, North Carolina, Massachusetts, California, Ohio, like a real deep longing within communities of an age group that we don't necessarily put into this category in longing for reconciliation and an understanding and equality and unity In within that. What really stood out to me as well is just the way in which Fred held the story for a woman who is illustrating a specific reaction to a photo that has Fred in it and that could frame him in a certain way, and his response to that was to hold a space in such healthy of a way that her reaction could really be lived out to figure out what her reconciliation path was going to look like. And I love that because it leads to one of those encouragement or challenging things that Fred gave to us around how we enter a room and how we enter a space. I know that stood out to you as well.
1: Yeah, the phrase he used was, when you show up in a space, can it not be about you? And that really challenged me personally, thinking about, okay, when I walk into a room, well, first, what are the reasons that I do make it about me? Sometimes it's personal insecurity. Sometimes it's other things that I've been dealing with in the day that I bring in with me. Sometimes it's because I don't feel safe. What are the reasons that I show up and do make it about me? And then what would it take for it to not be about me? How can I be others focused in any space that I walk into?
0: I feel like that specific challenge that he gave us is tied to another concept that he he brought into the conversation around whether or not there's someone that's nurturing or sowing into your own soul. Um, If you have that, if you have someone sowing into you – then maybe, and, and I include myself in this, that when I have someone sewing into me, then I can enter into that space for someone else. And so I almost, I almost answered that first question as a takeaway of if you were to ask me, can you enter into a room and it not be about you? I started to write down on a journal, I can enter into this space when – And then I started to put the, yes, I can, but it's when, it's when my soul is full. It's when my identity is being defined by who I believe in and what I believe in. It's when I'm part of us and not just looking to be part of me. So maybe even a takeaway or a challenge as an audience is to say, is to ask that question, when you enter a room, can it be about the room or does it need to be about you? And finish it with that statement of, I can enter a room of us when, and start to fill that out and start to meet those needs in your own life of what you need in order for it to be about us.
1: Yeah, he really came back to this idea of how critical it is to have community. Mm-hmm. The The phrase that he used is, um, who protects your soul? And then he talked about this idea of like going back to be filled up before going out to serve. And I think that this idea of being filled up before we pour out and that constant recharge, whether that is... With God, or whether that is with a community of other people, whether that is one friend or confidant or person who is gonna root you in truth again, I think that's critical as we're talking about this constant conversation of being the difference in the lives of others. It's it's not something we can do alone.
0: Right. We need protectors of our soul. We need believers in our calling. We need people to chase. Fred was really intentional about that, that we need people who have the character that are worth chasing. We need cohorts and virtual spaces and communities where it's safe to have the conversation.
1: Well, and we need to be reconciled with those around us. Right. And that is part of Fred's heart and mission is that, like he said, it's not just a one time event. It's the in your everyday life. Being reconciled with those who are within within your reach.
0: Yeah, I think the most significant takeaway that we can walk away with as a as a community is to ask the question: Is it time for me to sign up for a reachable reconciliation cohort? Like that, that might be the actionable step today. Is that we, as a family, as a church, as a community, as an organization, in a business, um, that we may need to take the action step toward reachable reconciliation because there are Fred and others like him who can facilitate a conversation that leads us closer to one another. And there's no better time to take that step than now for us as a nation and as a world.
1: Well, and we all got to meet Fred, and so we know he's going to do it with some humor.
0: Right, absolutely. He's going to
1: do it with some lightheartedness. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's kind of the challenge of Like, how do I walk into a space and have it not be about me? Well, maybe that's something that I learn in a Reachable Reconciliation cohort. Maybe that's a space where I practice that skill. So if you are interested in learning more about FRED or Reachable Reconciliation, all the links are in the show notes. It's reachablereconciliation.com. That is something that is possible and tangible and something we could all walk away and do today.
0: Special thanks to Cohatch for hosting this podcast again and to our brilliant producer Mikey for putting all of these conversations together for us and to you as a listener who are becoming more like family each time that we get to share in these conversations we can't wait to join you on the next episode